Hello and welcome to another episode in the You're My Com Zero podcast and I'm your host Asif Chowdhury. Today my guest is Jill Munro. Jill has walked the walk when it comes to tough comms and PR jobs. She has worked agency side, in-house and covered consumer, charity, tech and broadcast PR. Jill has spent a decade in various roles in the BBC and has been at the eye of several high profile storms in the press office there. So Jill's work as a coach now is focused on empowering women coming up the ranks to progress and succeed in their careers without sacrificing their energy and sanity. So thanks for joining me, Jill, and it's great to welcome you as a guest on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. So as I like to do, Jill, before we get into the um, nitty gritty of the subject matter, I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions. So um, we'll start with, uh, are you... An early riser, or do you love a lion? Oh, lion, hands down. <laughs> I'll never be in the five AM club. <laughs> I've seen that book commented on quite a few times. Actually, I, I, I'm I'm deliberating whether to actually read that one. I am in the five AM club, but only it's just it's just been a habit thing. So, um, what is it about? It's it's interesting you say that you're not in the five AM club because that seems to be the the thing you know of most people in comms and marketing and leadership that that's a big thing so uh, have you ever been tempted to sway into that have you thought about it Mm, I've considered it uh, and then when I was considering it it just made me feel so awful even (laughs) just considering the idea that I rejected it but I think it's it is an interesting one because it totally works for some people it's a really brilliant thing but I think that's what I'm all about is finding what works for you it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all yeah life that we all live so yeah no, i totally agree I, i'm not 5am i'm i'm more like a, a half eight <laughs> 8:30 a.m club <laughs> i like that one there's a new there's a new book coming then jill i think you should write that one for all the other uh yeah. <laughs> lying people um so are you uh, a tea or a coffee drinker oh tea cannot be a cup of tea any particular brand i say uh, well, interesting you should say that, because just yesterday I was considering that very thing, because uh, I've been drinking a tea brand, which I won't name, uh, which has a special um, variation of it for hard water areas, because oh. I live in Deal in Kent, which is a very hard water area. We're not far from the chalky white cliffs of Dover, and um, I think I just think it doesn't make that much difference, so I was like, why am I paying, <laughs> why am I paying extra? From a fancy tea bag, so I've just got PG tips. Okay, well, there you go. And are you uh, Apple or Android? Oh, Apple. Yeah, dabbled with Androids, but I think um, I'd gone too far into Apple by then, so I had to, my old brain couldn't cope with the change. <laughs> <laughs> so I stuck with Apple. And the final one um, are you uh, an ebooker or do you prefer a printed book? Oh, no, I do do both. I'd say I'm 50-50 okay. on this. Uh, it depends on the circumstances. At home, uh, an actual book. Love real books. I've got a degree in English literature and have always loved to read uh, from when I was a kid. So you can't be you can't be a good book. However, in my maternity leave years, which were a few years back when I was 
well, constantly pushing a buggy around to make my child go to, to have a nap. Um, ebooks were just an absolute godsend then because I could be super compact and march the streets without having tons of stuff in my bag. Yeah. Sit down when she finally fell asleep on a park bench and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer, I'm on a, um, a printed book of myself and I like, I've got into Audible this year and uh, just, I'm still commuting into the office, although it's not a huge commute, but it's nice to, I've probably listened to more books than I would have had chance to read, so it's been quite good. And it's uh, Atomic Habits is my current one that I started last uh, yesterday, in fact. So um, uh, that's going to turn me into a productivity uh, king, monster, call it whatever you want. Let's wait and see what happens with these things. But I do just enjoy the fact of being able to consume the printed and the audio version, um, definitely. So yeah. So thanks for sharing those, uh, Jill, and it's nice to find out a little bit more about you. And... Um, we're going to uh, cover some sub- subject matter here, which is in your role as a um, coach now. So just to kick off then, so you coach women who have enjoyed a successful PR career, but now find they are either stuck in Groundhog Day or heading for burnout. So how common is that now? Um, I think it's more common than most people realise. Um I was mentioning to you just before we started this recording that I started um, talking about my business as a coach back in November and I was really stunned, to be totally honest with you, to find out just how common this feeling was. I started working with women primarily, although I do sometimes work with guys as well. I think they're a bit more reluctant to come forward. Um and every single one of them said to me that they recognized very much what I was talking about. And the kind of things that I was talking about were, you know, you have a really enjoyable, successful career. That is how it looks. You have got a, a, you've progressed up the ranks a little. You maybe you're at the middle management level, something like that. Um, you always get great appraisals. Your colleagues really respect you. You're considered a safe pair of hands. Um, You're very creative. But something inside you is not matching up with that description. And I think so many people feel the gap between what they are delivering what they and how people perceive them around them and their bosses and so on and how they actually feel on the inside. And I think there's quite a kind of hidden um, well of anxiety and worry about loads of different aspects of the job so it could be things like you know what results you're going to get how successful is your campaign going to be um are your stakeholders you know cross with you (laughs) uh think you've not done enough um and this is constant kind of driving people to go i must do more i must be on the ball all the time um and I just think that is really rife. And from, you know, back in my career, I was just getting people messaging me going, oh my God, I can't believe you're talking about this because it's definitely true. And with sort of client after client, I've I've heard the same, not the exact same story, because obviously people's lives are different and they have different circumstances going on. But that fundamental thing of being trapped in a kind of plate spinning cycle with zero time for yourself is rife 
Right, it's quite interesting that that the um, uh, those results, which are very much a, a key part of comms and marketing roles, you know, whatever part of the job in the campaign ROI, and there's this obsession definitely with uh, data within comms and creativity is now um, in lots of cases being led by data insight because there's a fascination with numbers where creativity the best ideas certainly in my opinion just come from that that free time that you've got without any constraints to just brainstorm and come up with those stupid ideas which sometimes are often the place you find the best ones and um, but it's mm. hard to do that a within you've got deadlines you've got ROI to meet you've got uh, obviously you have budgets to work to and you have headcounts so a lot of issues there that comes and marketers face and I, I wanted to pick up there Jill you mentioned it's mainly um, women that have come to you with the odd um, male person so is this do you think it's it is just a um, something that affects women more than men, or is just is it the men thing that you know they don't speak out on these things? The imposter syndrome, some of the things you mentioned there, that anxiety, that worry. Yeah, I think guys are a bit more reluctant to speak out, and I think that's primarily the reason um, why my clients don't tend to be guys. But for women, it is the well documented issues that we all know about. The issues show up very, very commonly for women when they have got to a stage in life where their responsibilities beyond work have increased um, and their free time just gets completely taken away from them. Um, So that could be things like having children, having a family. That's certainly really, really common. Um, Or the other thing is, um, I think post-pandemic, there's a real issue as well where perhaps women who are looking to move on with their personal lives and get what they want from that maybe they've spent the past couple of years you know in a flat share just with our flatmates or living alone and work has been the only thing um, that's been going on for them consistently in that time and the other things that they enjoy in life meeting new people um, their personal interests really have taking a back seat and friendships have become trickier to you know run as fluently as they did in the past and so work has kind of expanded to fill the space and now they're in this position when they're readjusting and they're actually thinking what do I really want and they need to get work work life and work thinking back into perspective of the overall picture you know of their life or women with caring responsibilities for um you know, parents or more more elderly relatives in the family. Um, so it's women whose time time gets squeezed, I think, more often. Yeah. So and you'd say that that this is you know why it happens so often that women feel like there's some of the reasons you've just mentioned there. Are there any other ones that you that you'd put forward? Um, what I work on with people is those are all the th- external factors that are going on. But the fundamental thing that people really need to think about is how they are getting in their own way and the choices that they are making um, that are perpetuating a situation that they find anxiety 
you know, stimulating um, or just relentless. And that's really where coaching comes in to support people. It is talking to people about why they why they choose to behave that way. So for, you know, looking at the examples from my own life, um, for many years, uh, I had all these feelings. Uh, you know, I would be described routinely in significant crisis comm situations. Um, I worked on the Savile story at the BBC press office right. and various various other um, things that were making, you know, all the front pages and attracting global interest for sustained periods of time. Um, and I think I became quite acclimatised to that level of pressure and stress and I stopped. I, I just kept servicing that. I was choosing to always be completely ready to handle whatever came next. The choice that I needed to make for my own life was actually to downgrade the importance of that in my own life. Of course, it's still important to the organisation and it must be served, but it's not my responsibility to solve the problem all the time. It's just my responsibility to show up to it in an appropriate way for the role I'm assigned to do, if you like. Um, so I think that's really the other thing, for people to look inward and start to think, what am I doing here? And I think that's the thing that often prompts people to come to coaching, is they they sort of got to that point. They realise, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to change something here because none of these external factors are going to change. They're beyond my control. Yeah. What can I actually do differently? And then that's when we get into the really interesting conversations about how people can make changes. Yeah, so do you think then it's there's, there's an element of an age thing as somebody has to have progressed through their career to a particular point before they have that need for coaching? Um, I think anyone can benefit from coaching at any stage, uh, but I think it's the kind of issues that they bring to coaching change over time. So one of the things I talk about sometimes is how senior leadership and executive uh, level uh, people will be provided with a coach. They get to that stage in their career and it, the business is like, okay, here, you can have some executive coaching now because we really want you to operate at your most efficient and the best way for you and the business because that is going to be the thing that helps helps you at this stage in your career and helps our business the most. And then I think that people slightly further down the chain, so middle managers and below, are sort of unaware of that. Like I don't, it's just not really talked about that much. But I think, ironically, if coaching was provided at every level, alongside skills training that people at earlier stages in their career still definitely need and benefit from, um, then what you get is people who not just become really skilled as practitioners, but become skilled as personal kind of you know, operators alongside that. And that benefits everybody because people enjoy their jobs more and people enjoy their lives more. And also in terms of staff retention, 
It helps people feel engaged with the place that they work and want to stay there longer. And that only has benefits for, for a business. So it's an investment in people. And often we've thought about that in terms of skills training. But I think coaching across the board and you just coming to that at the relevant you know, point with what, whatever issues are, are big for you at that stage in your career would really be a benefit. Yeah, it's probably an interesting perspective. It's like you say, the coaching element comes into when it's offered to colleagues later in their careers when they achieve, like you say, oh, we want to help you stay on optimum performance. But if it's something that's there on someone's career journey from, you know, why why shouldn't an apprentice or a graduate or a school leaver joining an organisation, you say go beyond, as you said, go beyond the practical skills that people have to get to do their job, but the soft skills in effect here the personal side so yeah it's probably it's not something that i've heard anyone comment on so if there is anyone who's listening who's kind of actually doing that i'd be interested to pick that up um and even somebody who's gone through coaching at an earlier part in their career because i think from a a, a generalization which I, I do appreciate i'm making here that's what i feel that it tends to just come in later on in people's careers when um budgets are available but should it be part of the process like you say alongside skills training so um we've talked here about you know the anxiety the need for coaching um that uh, people getting stuck in the groundhog day and heading for burnout you know how do people get out of that rut or crisis that they're in um for me where i start with everybody is looking at why they behave the way that they do why they feel the way that they do. Um, and that often comes from, I mean, it, come, it can come from something specific within work, like a particular um, issue that was traumatic for you to deal with or a particular project that, that was um, difficult to be involved in um, or just sometimes the relentless pace of things. Um, But it always comes down to, you know, what do you want from your life? So not just what do you want from your job? What do you want from your life? How do you want your life to feel? How do you want to feel when you are at work? And if you get those kind of end goals very clear for somebody and they talk about the things that they might want. So it could be things like um, they want to feel a greater sense of peace and calm. In their life generally um, they don't want to feel kind of frenetic and switched on and a slave to the news cycle all the time um, once we establish those clear goals then we can look at kind of breaking the behavioral patterns that people have that have kept them in that position that they no longer want yeah. um, so it's it's breaking it down into manageable little things and um, making small achievable goals so that people can make the differences that they want to feel. And it can take them from, you know, a situation where they've got a job that they used to love, but they don't anymore. And maybe they want to get that good feeling back. Or maybe they want to move on in their career and they want to step from, one level up to a, a more senior level and it is about how their behavioural patterns can be 
adapted so that they're ready to take that step into the next more senior job too. Yeah, and I mentioned um, when we were talking about books that I'm listening to Atomic Habits at the moment and literally in the first three chapters one of the things there was making 1% changes across a number of different habits and that's like you say smaller um, goals that you can actually you know make those habit forming changes uh, to uh, to somebody's individual lifestyle or their working methods or processes so it's quite interesting that you picked uh, picked up on that so yeah it's uh, certainly interesting with regard to uh, atomic habits and uh, some of the stuff that's come out there so how can employers support people better then with these issues i think there's two things um there's employers who really get this, um, line managers who really get this sort of thing, and they can see it in their people, but they don't really know how to solve it. Um, you know, a line manager will often say to someone in their team who's experiencing a bit of doubt or a bit of a down spell, they'll say, oh, but you're great. Everyone thinks what you do is great. And they just offer that reassurance, which is lovely, but it doesn't actually support the person with practical kind of steps to make the changes so that they feel what everyone else can see Um, and so I work with um, larger employers or or, um, corporates where the employer the employer will fund coaching for their team members and the kind of team members that tend to benefit from it are the ones who are you know been in an organization for a couple of years they know the lie of the land um they don't need skills training now. They're good practitioners, but they just want to, I guess, fine tune and, and kind of upgrade the way that they feel in their day to day work. Um, and I think the other thing that employers can do, and if there's employers listening to this who think, oh, this doesn't happen in my team or that isn't that isn't something I've really noticed, I can 100 percent say to those people that is a case of you just not seeing something because you're unaware of it it is definitely there i i don't think there would be a single comms team around where there isn't at least one person experiencing this so i think the onus is on leaders to swap up about it read the books follow the people on linkedin uh that talk about this stuff educate themselves and then ask the questions because one of the things i think comms people are very very good at and I was very very good at this is is telling a story that people want to hear right that's why we're good at our jobs but we can also apply that to ourselves in conversation with other people so that the people we think may judge us like our manager we tell that story to them that they want to hear and so the manager carries on in blissful ignorance it's not the manager's fault they've not done anything wrong you know the person needs to be, you need to kind of um, chip chip behind the, the protective, uh, you know, coating that they've put around themselves so that they appear yeah. like the perfect employee and just really ask them. It's interesting there, as you say, that, that the telling good stories is exactly what comms people are about. And, um, you know, the, the comms era community exists to celebrate the heroics that comms people perform every day and the reason for that is because inherently I found in my experience that comms people are brilliant at doing that for everyone else but for themselves um, they kind of shy away or there isn't a safe space to do that or 
they've just spent so long celebrating everyone else's heroics that they've just either not got time or they just don't know how to do it for themselves. And that's why we set up Comms Hero. So the, why is, do you think as Comms Hero as a community, why is it important and would you recommend people working in comms and marketing to be part of it? Yeah, because I think that's one of the things that I first, when I first noticed Comms Hero, I could tell that that was a sort of movement that was quite aligned to the way that I think. Um, and you're absolutely right. People are doing heroics. And I think some people might quibble with the use of the word hero, right? Because we think of yeah. hero as, you know, the firefighters or, or all that kind of thing. But it's the same as similar to the way I think about the word, you know, trauma. We think, you know, our first thought when someone says something traumatic, we think of like a really awful tragedy. But actually, heroism, trauma, they all happen on a smaller level all the time, every day. And people can take heroic actions by just stepping out their comfort zone to, you know, tackle a project that's really difficult that they've, you know, been tasked with, that can think about doing something in a new way and take a bit of a risk to tell the story they've been tasked with telling. And those are, those are, you know, little heroic moments for that person who's doing it. And I think it's so important that we recognise that because celebrating the wins, right, which is what Comms Hero is all about, is absolutely vital because having people genuinely celebrate their wins connects them with how they feel and if they're connected with how they feel then they can have a much more realistic uh, kind of conversation with themselves about what's going well what's not going so well what they want to change and it's just a complete shift away from this idea of must be perfect robotic corporate employee that's yeah. presented in a certain way the whole time so I you know I love it no, that's great, and thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I'm sure many of the listeners will um, be nodding in agreement, as I have been, as uh, you've been talking about why Comms Hero exists. And uh, it's that uh, typical Maslow's hierarchy of needs where that sense of belonging um, is, we all want that, mm. whatever it is. And, and this is, the you know, it doesn't matter who you're aligned to, whether it's uh, whatever membership body you're paying membership fees to, it doesn't make any difference or if you're not part of a membership body if you work in comms and that doesn't have to be directly in comms because we also have a saying you don't have to work in comms to be a comms hero so that you know we've got people in the community who work in frontline services or who are people who work with customers and understand their role as a brand ambassador as well so um absolutely you know it's really important to remember that so jill that's been a, a really insightful conversation today and i've really enjoyed it and i'm sure the comms here listeners are going to enjoy it too so i as i like to do you know networking and building relationships is a huge part of the comms hero community and i would love for people to connect with you so how will they find you what your social handles uh, yeah find me on linkedin uh, that's where i do most of my work talking and talking about all these issues so i'm just jill monroe on linkedin um and my website is jill monroe coaching uh, if you want to uh, check that out as well yes and we will add those into the show notes as well and you'll find Sorry. this podcast on spotify apple and on our website comsero.com and you can follow us on twitter at comsero if you are listening please do leave a, a rating and a review and this episode is sponsored by blink 
the world's first enterprise app designed exclusively for frontline workers. And for more details, visit their website, joinblink.com. So Jill, it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the space.